Welcome to episode 65 of the Steptoe Cyber Law Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Thank you for joining us. We're lawyers talking about technology, security, privacy, and government. And I'm joined today by uh, our guest, uh, Bruce Schneier, cryptographer, computer science and privacy uh, guru, and the author of Data and Goliath, um, which we'll be talking about later in the hour. Uh, Bruce, welcome. Yeah, hi. Uh, and by Michael Vadis, formerly with the FBI and Justice Department, now a partner in Steptoe's New York office. Uh, Michael, uh, uh, do you have a candidate for a story of the week? Oh, I think it's got to be uh, martial law being d- declared in Texas. Apparently no one knows it other than the governor and Ted Cruz. Oh, yes. Uh, you're talking about the uh, the decision to follow around the, uh, uh, the special forces as they uh, conduct their exercises? Yeah, yeah, apparently that's the suspicion from the Tea Party types. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm not privy to the inner uh, councils, but that, that's what I'm hearing in the mainstream media. Yeah, well, of course, there was a apparently a, uh, a possible terrorist attack uh, down there, uh, which ended in a typically Texas way with the guys who were tr- conducting the attack dead on the ground. Um, but we'll have to find out more about that when uh, when we get to read the papers tomorrow. Uh, Jason Weinstein is also here, formerly with the Justice Department, where he oversaw criminal computer crime prosecutions, among other things, now doing criminal and civil litigation at Steptoe, and here for the second week in a row. Congratulations, third, Jason. Third week in third a row. Third week in a row. <laughs> you got a candidate for uh, Story of the Week? Uh, it's one that I think you're going to talk about in a little bit, which is the continuing confusion on the Hill about cybersecurity legislation and about the future of the 250. Yeah, we, we should we should jump into that. Uh, in fact, I, I'll just introduce myself. I'm Stuart Baker, formerly NSA, DHS holding the record for returning to step to the most uh, uh, times to practice law. Uh, and why don't we just uh, move right to the uh, uh, kind of mess that is um, uh, the cyber policy on the Hill. Actually, I, 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 I want to say the House has been disciplined and productive by and large. Uh, uh, they got their cyber information sharing bills done and uh, passed. And now it looks as though they're going to turn to 215. I, I have to say I don't like their uh, their draft. Um, uh, they basically gut the uh, uh, the current program and say it ought to be sufficient just to uh, write specific selection terms and carry those to the carriers, uh, even though the carriers may not have any information after as, as little as a month. Uh, um, and... Uh, um, they bar uh, bulk collection of um, uh, all sorts, including things that go down to the level of uh, records on a, a zip code uh, uh, basis. Uh, um, the Senate's a different story. Senate is uh, has has uh, apparently wadded all of this stuff together and won't be able to unwad it easily. Uh, um, so we don't know where the Senate's going to come out uh, uh, on cyber information sharing or on uh, uh, their uh, effort to uh, uh, to come up with an alternative to the House proposal on 215. Considering that we have to get it done by May 22nd and it's May 4th uh, as we record this, uh, there's not a lot of time. Uh, uh, and I suspect um, not a lot of consensus. It was easy to find, easier to find consensus in the House because you've got as many civil libertarian Republicans as Democrats. So, uh, uh, bad news in my view, uh, we will regret the, the House stand and I'm still hoping that the Senate will come up with something, uh, clearly Majority Leader, um, 
McConnell wants to do something that will keep the program alive, but uh, whether he'll have the votes is another question. Um, the Supreme Court granted cert in a case, Spokio, um, that on its face isn't particularly related to privacy or security, but uh, because it's about um, damages or, or bringing lawsuits where you've got a claim but um, no actual damages, uh, uh, it raises questions about you know the future of those sorts of cases. Many of those cases are privacy cases, uh, uh, and I don't know, uh, uh, Michael, did you take a close look at uh, the exact issues and what they might mean for privacy class actions? I did. Uh, this is a really interesting case. Uh, it involves the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which is um, somewhat privacy-related. Yeah. Uh, and and the, the issue here uh, was that the, the plaintiff said that his that Spokio violated uh, his rights under FICRA to uh, have information that's posted about him in a in a credit report be as accurate as as possible. Um, and uh, Spokio moved to dismiss, saying, you know, you're not alleging any actual harm to your to yourself. And the Ninth Circuit said that you don't have to, uh, if it's a willful violation, FICRA provides for statutory damages and a private right of action, and therefore uh, Congress envisioned that this statutory right, uh, if violated, would allow you to recover uh, damages in court, and that's enough to get standing even under Article Three of the Constitution. Ninth Circuit's analysis was very cursory, um, and the courts are split on this. Basically, whether you have to show some sort of economic or personal injury uh, in order to get standing, or whether the violation of a statutory right is enough. And, and you know, I think uh, I think you have to bet that the Supreme Court's going to say you have to have something beyond the violation of a statutory right. So this is standing, a- although logically, I'm not sure why that should be the case. This is tied, I guess, to the the longstanding set of cases that say Article 3 says we decide, decide cases in controversy. Don't come here with some theoretical case. You have to show that you're an actual, uh, you're actually injured by the person you're suing in order to have a case or controversy. That's, that's the the principle that they're pushing. But the response is, well, when Congress says I have a right and you violate my right, that ought to be enough injury to uh, to bring the case. Is that is that the the nature of the debate? That that's exactly right. And 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 you know his his lawyers are saying he's he's not bringing some generalized grievance. This is a uh, report on Spokio about him individually. He says that um, you know the the information it was inaccurate and therefore his statutory right was violated. Why is that not a case or controversy? Uh, so it's going to be it's going to be interesting. This the, the reason this is important for privacy cases is you know as we've talked about so many times, in so many uh, data breach cases and other sorts of privacy cases, there's no there's no proof of harm. And cases have been getting kicked out for uh, on the ground of lack of standing all over the place. Uh, but under the Stored Communications Act, the Wiretap Act, uh, other non-privacy statutes like the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, dozens of statutes allow for statutory damages and a private right of action, uh, which will be affected by the outcome in this case. So it's, it really is going to have major repercussions for businesses uh, because really what this gets to is the viability of class actions. You know, it, it, for his for violation of his statutory rights, he's going to recover a hundred to a thousand dollars. But if you aggregate millions or billions of people's uh 
claims in a class action, there's a lot of potential uh, recovery there. So if, if, if I can interpret what you're saying, it sounds as though really this is only potentially a big deal if the court agrees that you have to have some injury beyond what Congress called for, because that will actually throw into disarray a lot of the most dangerous lawsuits, like the the claim against Google for wiretapping when they picked up people's Wi-Fi uh, uh, communications, uh, where it could have been, I forget, $10,000 per violation, and every time they picked up a, uh, a Wi-Fi signal, it was a, another violation. Uh, those Those lawsuits would disappear if the court goes one way, but more likely the court's going to go the other way uh, and say you – well, actually, uh, that's my guess is I, I think the court's going to say if Congress says it's a right, then the breach of your right ought to be sufficient to uh, create a case or controversy. And if that happens, all of these uh, lawsuits, all these statutes survive and continue to, to worry people uh, uh, about class liability. Yeah, it's – you know, right now if uh, – if a plaintiff's lawyer brings a class action, uh, he can choose to bring it in in the circuits where the rules are favorable. So really, the the only big impact is going to be if the court uh, continues its march towards narrowing standing, uh, and then you can't bring these kind of cases anywhere without showing actual injury. But I'm still wondering whether this is actually going to be a, a good case because the court, I think, twice now has granted cert to decide this issue and then decided not to. Uh, one, it dismissed the, the case as improvidently granted, and the other one, I think they just didn't address it. Um, and here, the the opposition to CERT said, look, this is not a good case to decide this issue because there are actual concrete damages here. Uh, Spokio said that the guy had a high level of education and was very wealthy. In fact, he has very little education and is not wealthy. There's his reputation and his ability to get a job is therefore damaged. Wait a minute. When you know, did, when, when, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. When did people start writing dissents from the granting of certiorari? That's nuts. No, no. This isn't this isn't a dissent. This is the opposition to cert. Oh, okay. All he, right. he won below, so this is his his uh, opposition saying the court should not grant this case because, uh, in fact, he didn't just allege violation of the statutory right. He was really harmed. They inflated his education and income level. And there, thereby hurt his ability to get a job and, and apparently hurt his feelings. They also said he was very good looking. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it, it sounds like OK Cupid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> OK, uh, let me let me turn to uh, uh, another liability question, or at least a, a hidden liability question. Uh, um, it, it turns out there's a, there's a new uh, uh, encrypt your email and hold it ransom uh, uh, program floating around the Internet called Crypto Wall. Uh, and uh, the way it gets onto people's uh, machines is if they go to Huffington Post and they see an ad for Hugo Boss, they are infected just by virtue of that fact. Uh, uh, or if they go to Zillow and they see an ad, uh, they may be infected. And the reason this works is because Zillow and Huffington Post uh, um, don't actually vet the ads that appear. They just sell the, the space, and then there's a real-time auction uh uh, and people can bid and say, I've got an ad, I want to put it right in there. And they may use an ad network that uh, will have vetted the ad in, in advance, but it's easy enough 
to change the ad slightly after it's been vetted to uh, uh, to include some malware. Uh, and then when you discover there was malware in the ad and you go back to find the guy who, who posted it uh, and who gave you $2 for every 1,000 people who looked at it, uh, uh, you can't find him. Uh, and so um, it, the liability question that it seems to me is worth pursuing here is we now have really pretty good forensics that tell us exactly how attacks succeed which means that we know everybody who has crypto wall, and believe me, if you've got crypto wall, you uh, will not fail to know it, can probably figure out which website infected him, which advertiser and which ad network was responsible for that uh, uh, ad getting served to him. Uh, and I, I can't believe there aren't going to be lawsuits saying, you failed in a fundamental obligation to me. I went to your site. I mean, really, believe me, I have little sympathy for people who go to Huffington Post and look at uh, the Hugo Boss ads. Uh, that, that, you know, that, that is that is where. Be, be, be careful there. That just happens to be who had the ad on that day. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Of ad networks. I mean, just if it was one day Huffington Post, the next day it could be siteyoulike.com and ad you want to click on dot com. Yeah. Okay. In the details of the day. That's true. I was I I, I was betraying my uh, political prejudices there, uh, uh, but you're absolutely right. You 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 are totally at the mercy of the ad network, and in fact, somebody could say, "I really want um, only to sell this ad." To uh, Bruce Schneier's zip code, uh, and and uh, and maybe people who have some of Bruce Schneier's characteristics, uh, so that it's highly likely I will end up displaying this ad and infecting Bruce Schneier, uh, or all of the uh, the White House's uh, um, zip code. Uh, uh, so there, there are real opportunities to carry out some pretty dangerous and targeted attacks uh, uh, here. I'm, I'm kind of interested in whether, I mean, Jason, uh, Michael, you guys may have some ideas about what the likelihood is that we're going to see real lawsuits over this, uh, um, or whether, as the, I think the Senate said when they looked at malvertising, only the thief can be sued. I'm kind of skeptical of that. Yeah, I, I, I thought that, you know, in the Senate Homeland Security Report, I thought that they were correct to observe that the, you know, sort of the question of who's liable is unclear, but, but, and they were correct to observe that the self-regulatory efforts in the ad industry are really geared toward privacy and what's done with private information, not with security. Um, but there are, there are some perverse incentives. I mean, we used to, uh, uh, when I was DOJ and we, we would investigate, um, uh, ransomware cases and piracy cases, one of the things that they have in common is we found that there were studio websites where piracy groups were advertising on the studio websites. I mean, it's, it's sort of nothing could <laughs> yes. illustrate more clearly that the, the website operator doesn't know who, what ads are appearing on its website. I actually think that this is a new frontier of class actions and one sort of apropos to our previous conversation. Where it's not going to be hard to establish an injury, it's really going to be a question of who's actually legally liable. And I have a feeling there are a lot of people in the uh, uh, advertising ecosystem today who are checking their contracts with the ad networks and with the advertisers to see what they say about liability. Um, so I, I think that that this is something that will get sorted out in uh, in courtrooms, not in in uh, Congress. Yeah, uh, it's, it's worth it's worth looking at. It. I'm sorry, it's go worth ahead. Looking at economics here. Who do we want to be liable? We want to be liable the uh, the entity that can fix the problem. I mean, that will solve 
the economic actionalities, that'll how that's how we're gonna get security. So there has to be someone whose job it is who has the ability to to vet the ads. And whether it's the site or the ad company, you know, someone has to be at fault here. I you know, that is that is the cl- just the user, you're on your own. Yeah, Bruce, I think you're, you're that that is you're you're Providing the classic, you know, for the last 50 years, that's been the tort law analysis that says uh, uh, who's in the best position to avoid the harm, uh, and that person should bear the liability uh, um, because it creates the best incentives for uh, uh, preventing this. It is a little tricky, though, you know, looking at the way the advertising, the online advertising industry is broken up. It's obviously been changing every five years. There's a new structure to it, but figuring out. Uh, whether, uh, the provide, the publisher's platform or the ad network or, uh, the publisher itself or, or double click, uh, all of those guys play a role in this. It's not clear which of them is in the best position to stop this kind of thing from happening. Right. I mean, to, to me, it, it, and you're right, it has to be a real-time looking at the ads because once an ad is approved, it can always be changed. I mean, ads will link to sites, will link to content. You know, it's sort of, it's very hard now to figure out who's doing what. My guess is it's going to be the company that, that serves the ad. That you, you're right, you really can't blame the website because they just put a hole in their page and say, ad company put an ad here. Yeah. So it has to be the company that, that approves the ad and places the ad. So now, he, there's going to be a lot of work. They're going to have to do a lot of work to make sure that bad ads don't get placed. But this is a serious problem. Well, we can't have a situation where you're you're afraid to go online and, and nothing you do can protect you. Uh, just going on and looking at a site that you trust uh, uh, results in you getting uh, infected, especially with something as uh, egregious and as And even this. if it requires you to click, the last thing DoubleClick double wants is for everyone to know, well, don't click on those ads that could be malware. Right. That, that, ruins your, uh, that ruins your whole advertising network. So DoubleClick really wants this problem to go away because they want to... They want to, uh, they want the ads to have integrity. So, so I think they're going to end up solving the problem. Google has announced, I, I think, that it's planning to encrypt its ads. And I, I, I'm trying to figure out how that addresses this problem or if it does. Uh, I, uh, I mean, I, 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 do you have any idea how that would address this problem? I'm just not sure it does. I don't think it does. There might be some examples where ads are hijacked midstream, in which case encryption would help. But the way I understand this attack is the is the is the ransomware entity buys the ad legitimately or through a cutout and yep. serves the malware that way. So encrypting is just going to make sure that no one will be able to watch it as it goes by. Yeah, well, and for, you can, you can apparently buy these for two dollars per thousand exposures. And since you can infect everybody, or at least highly likely to infect everybody, if you've got the right kind of exploit, uh, that means a thousand people who have to pay you three hundred bucks to get their data back, and it costs you two bucks, uh, to get, to, to infect them. That's a, that's a pretty good return. Yeah, my guess is it's not that, it's not that effective. I mean, given the fact that I'm, no one I know, no one you know, probably no one listening here has been affected or knows people have been affected, they do seem, seem to be edge cases. So there's more going on here. Yeah. Right? The malware detection is good enough, but enough people are being infected that this is a real problem. 
Yep. So the uh, the plaintiff's bar will be on it, I'm sure, right? Uh, as soon as uh, victims start identifying themselves. Uh, um, just to finish up, uh, um, we've got a bunch of other uh, 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 stories. I'll 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 leave it up to our uh, panel whether we want to talk about the conviction of the Goldman Sachs flash boy from Michael Lewis's piece uh, or uh, the FCC's. Uh, decision that it doesn't regulate stingrays. It's going to let the FBI worry about that, uh, uh, or uh, uh, maybe uh, the DOJ cybersecurity guidance. Any takers? You know, I worry. I worry about the FCC not regulating stingrays. I mean, I I can buy one for fifteen hundred dollars. Uh, Alibaba.com. I, I checked this morning. Japanese company, sorry, Chinese companies make them. And I think we're seeing a lot more of them used by criminals in the United States. Well, so interestingly, someone the, has to regulate this. The, F, the FCC has said it regulates to the extent that it can only be sold, that can only be sold to legitimate uh, law enforcement organizations under some kind of oversight by the FBI. That's what they told Harris Corp, oh, which shit. actually makes Stingray. Yes, but but yes, they they, they don't try to prevent uh, uh, law enforcement from using it in any particular way. I think it's a measure of how controversial Stingrays are that you have a federal agency denying it has jurisdiction over uh, some <laughs> aspect of. Yeah, that's that, that's got to be a first. Uh, maybe the FTC should be asked if they have jurisdiction. I'm sure they'll say right. they. they no, of course they will. They, they don't even have to ask the question. Um, I'll I'll spend a second on uh, the the DOJ cybersecurity guidance. Um, so this is classic. I'll just put in a plug for. C- here. When I was their, their DAG, I discovered that as soon as I thought of something where there was a need, they had already anticipated the need and filled it in a way that was better than whatever I had come up with. And this was a, a good example. A few weeks ago, I was talking to somebody in their new cybersecurity unit about products that they could put out that would help industry and suggested they put out something on guidance in preparing for and responding to the data breaches and engaging with law enforcement. And they said, oh, we're about to put that out. And it was it was a terrific document. Michael can talk about it because he's, he's done some writing on it since it came out. Um, but it was a, uh, a a great document, better than than uh, anything I'd envisioned. Um, they introduced it at a roundtable that the head of the criminal division had last week, at which the AG spoke, uh, and um, a terrific uh, exercise, three-hour meeting, engaging with with uh, representatives of industry and uh, both forensics firms and law firms that that advise clients in this space about. Uh, how to engage in law enforcement, law enforcement's willingness to be creative in, in trying to address uh, companies' concerns about confidentiality and about the privilege. Um, I, I would say that the, just to put in a plug for Steptoe, that the, uh, a lot of the guidance that is in the, the CSIPS document sounds very similar to our data breach toolkit that we issued almost a year ago. Uh, and, uh, and that may be why, you know, it sounds so good to us because it's similar to the advice that we give. But one of the things that they particularly emphasize in their document, CSIP's document, is the importance of preparing for preparing an incident response plan in advance of an incident and testing it, which is something that, as you know, we proselytize yep. about all the time, doing tabletop exercises and we conduct for clients to, to test their plans and make sure they work before they really need them to work. Michael, what do you think? Yeah, uh, oddly, that's the same sort of stuff that my company sells. So uh, I'm, I'm in favor of this too. Yeah, uh, you, you, your, your company does a lot of. Gonna be. Your company does a lot of uh, uh, tabletop and uh, uh, kind of uh, software to help people prepare for uh, 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 breach disclosure <laughs> and the like, right? It's, it's, it's less tabletops, though. We, we do that. What we have is, is incident response coordination software, software that helps you manage an incident as it happens. But 
you know that whenever you're in crisis, it's the last time you want to learn how to use a new piece of software. Right. So any type of training and getting ready and tabletops and preparedness will just make you more effective when when something happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, Michael, what did you think of the uh, the details of this? I agree with Jason. You know, I, I will acknowledge that we're probably biased because we we think and we talk like uh, former DOJ people, and so this stuff reads um, really well to us, and it's logical, and it's plain spoken, and it's easy to follow. I will say though, you're not going to like it because it specifically says don't hack back. <laughs> oh, what a bunch of jackasses! I can't believe those guys. I think that's good. I mean, I'd, the fewer vigilantes out there, the better. I'm sorry. I, uh, uh, Bruce, let me ask you this question. I'll give you an example. You tell me why, why this would be bad. Uh, you've, you, you, you come in, uh, at midnight because there's an alert. It, the alert says, uh, some software just packaged up a gig of our data, RAR'd it, and sent it to a, uh, uh, a command and control server, uh, where it'll probably sit for a few hours before the guys get up in Beijing to collect it. Uh, we can look at the software and we can see what the login credentials um, uh, are, and we could log right in now and take it back. That's a violation of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Is that okay? Yeah. Uh, to, to, to log back in and take it back. Yeah, yes. of course it is. But I that's mean, but that's what they're telling us not to do. Stuff and takes. Agreed. And if someone goes into your house and steals your stuff and takes it next door, puts it in their house, you look through the window and you see it. Are you allowed to break into that house and take it back? Same question. No, it's not the same question. It's a, it's a, it, it, because you're not going to, you're not going to get shot and you're not going to shoot anybody on the way into, into the command and control server. Right? Uh, and, and so the risk of harm is very small. Yes, but you know, to, to, to me, the law shouldn't be affected by, by the fact that firearms exist or might be present. Well, of course it does. You have to worry about what the issue is. You have to go into your own hands to recover your stuff. But, you know, fundamentally, and I, I gotta go back to putting in another plug for my, my friends at CSIPS. It's not a, a violation of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act because they say it is. It's a violation of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act because the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act says it is. Well, but the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act says don't do anything you're not authorized to do on somebody's, on a computer. And so the, the question is, are they going to make room for the idea that you might be authorized to get back your stuff in that circumstance? And I, I, uh, there's, there's, there's no moral justification for telling people they can't do it. They, there's no practical justification. There's no way that the FBI is going to get it back for you. By the time they show up, show up, the, uh, the folks in Beijing will have had their coffee and, and removed the file. Uh, this is, you know, this is a, a Case of There's an extreme moral justification not to. The moral justification is that vigilante justice is bad, that taking the law into your own hands is bad. You can disagree with that, but that is the moral justification of why this is bad. We live in a uh, Wait a minute, wait a minute, but, but that's, 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 that is horse manure. I'm sorry, Bruce, that's horse manure. Uh, we, ha- we live in a society that is full of mall cops and uh, 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 bounty hunters, uh, private investigators, uh, shop owners who are allowed to tackle people who are running out of the store with with goods that they've stolen. Uh, we have lots of we, we count on citizens to do something to prevent crime from succeeding. Yeah, and that doesn't include breaking into the house next door or the computer next door to take your stuff back. I mean, we can change it. I think this would be bad. I mean, this 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 really feels like a moral slide to me. Ah. And, and, I'm, and I hope we don't. 
Yeah, well, this is a moral slide to statism, which apparently in other cases you, you don't like, but here you're quite happy to have the government have a, a monopoly on this. I, I don't quite understand it, but uh, uh, that's not what we came I to. I don't uh, trust vigilantes. That's basic. I, I trust as much as I distrust You trust the state. I trust them more than vigilantes. I love it. Uh, uh, so there's a uh, – and but you trust the state less than the vigilantes who decide to disclose classified information, which, you know, your, your, your book, which we're kind of getting into now is uh, is full of praise for Snowden, uh, who decided he was the moral arbiter and that the government's rules didn't apply. Uh, it, it, it's more complicated than that. I, I, I think that a, a robust society, ha- whistleblowers have a role to play, and that whistleblowing is a valid thing to do. Whether a particular whistleblower did the right thing in a particular instance is a much more complicated matter. I mean, I personally, yes, think Snowden did something that was was very important to to American society but you know that that's debatable and arguable the the notion that whistleblowers should never exist i i i is something i think so if i if if, if i just said i'm going in to get my stuff back to expose the uh, chinese government's espionage campaign suddenly i'm a moral hero and i can do it that, that that would that would seem odd. <laughs> I, I, you could try that. I mean, good 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 luck to you. No, no, I'm 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 appealing to the court of Bruce Schneier now. Uh, you've you you've constructed this circumstance where it's fine to uh, to break the law uh, uh, for whistleblowing, uh, but the government gets to sit. Go ahead. Be careful of those subtleties. It's not it's not said it's fine to break the law to expose that whistleblowing is a valid legal defense. And whether it is something that will be accepted in an individual case, right? If Snowden ever goes to trial in this world where he could say, I was a whistleblower, then that will be taken into account. I mean, right now, if he goes to trial, that's all irrelevant. None of that matters. Well, he can, so he can not, make that argument as a, as if a, you claim a, whistleblower, you're magically free. It's whether that is a valid defense, like self-defense. You don't just claim self-defense and you're allowed to shoot anybody. It's okay. a defense, and then there is a trial. So why shouldn't it be a defense that you were getting your own stuff back? Because I believe that vigilante justice is bad. I you know, you're ju- you know I'm sorry. I, I, I have to say, everybody who hates this always jumps right to vigilante justice as though we were lynching people in cyberspace. Uh, uh, I, what I was talking about is getting this stuff back, uh, not... I understand. Punishing somebody, you're just taking back stuff that belongs to you uh, from the thief uh, without without any risk that you're going to cause any harm to anybody other than the thief uh, and his expectations. Why is that vigilante justice? I mean, 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 there are reasons we dislike vigilante justice. One, have you proved he's the thief? I mean, that's why we have have process. And the reason we call vigilante justice is what it is. You are deciding as the victim, I know who did it. Right? You might be right, you might be wrong. You saw you know who did it. I can get it back, she said, without any causing any other damage. You might be right, you might be wrong, but you've decided that. I'm gonna do it. So due process is really useful to society. I'm a big fan of it. Really? And yeah, you, how long would due process take you and, and would, 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 would the guys in Beijing have picked I'm up the stuff? If they go away, then we have problems. So I, 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 due process, you don't have time for due process if you're waiting for the guys in Beijing to, to, to finish their coffee and st- take your stuff to, uh, uh, back to their, uh, PLA headquarters. So, uh, are you going to have a hearing on this? 
You're going to invite the, uh, uh, the Chinese to come in and, and offer their justification, uh, as opposed to just take it down to, uh, uh, to headquarters. I, you know, the, uh, there are times when you don't have time for due process. Uh, uh, yes, you have to, you have to recognize I, I, I you're at risk. Is, I get that this is inefficient. I get that this is inefficient. No, you're enabling, I, you're enabling theft. build inefficiency in our society. Sure. Yeah, but for, for what purpose? For what purpose? You're basically saying because I don't trust the people who might do this. I guess you trust Snowden, but you don't trust other individuals to make their own moral decisions. We we build inefficiency into our systems because it's a security measure. Because we recognize that if we uh, if we if we allow, I mean, and there's lots of, I mean. Uh, and there's sort of lots of examples where we've built inefficiency into all of our investigative and criminal systems in order to have have a better society. Not for the sake, not for the sake of the, not for the sake of the inefficiency, though. Uh, you know, we 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 do it because we believe that there are important values served by it, and the harm that is exactly. done by that inefficiency is tolerable. And it's exactly what I'm saying here. Yes, that's, that's exactly right. Right. So your inefficiency is a price we pay for things that are more important. Yeah, and and we're in a we're in a world where the the attackers are winning consistently, uh, and uh, in part because there's really no penalty for trying to attack uh, and failing. Um, and uh, until we start raising the cost of attacks. Uh, uh, we're going to get more and more of what we are permitting, uh, uh, and so you're proposing I to agree with all of that. So, so it, uh, I agree with every. I agree with everything there. Okay, so I have proposed a, a, something that would raise the cost of attacks. I'm not sure we're, we, we're we're losing. I mean, you certainly attack sheets and defense. Attack is often risk free, mm-hmm. and we need to figure out how to raise the cost of attack. Yes. Okay, well, so, uh, let me, uh, we, we got so, away from your point. So there's, yeah. there's only two ways this gets resolved, though. One is, uh, someone, someone goes ahead and takes the chance that they can defend their actions under the authorization right. prong of the statute. They get advice from a lawyer that they should take a chance, that they either won't get prosecuted, or if they do get prosecuted, they will be able to articulate, as Bruce suggested, sort of a self-defense, an authorization defense. So it'll get resolved in, or at least begin right. to get resolved in court. The other way is it gets resolved in Congress, which, you know, I realized resolved in Congress is something of an <laughs> oxymoron, but, but it's, there's, it's gotta be a legislative solution. You know, Congress has gotta decide that, for example, there should be civil liability if you blow up somebody, uh-huh. some innocent person's computer in the course of trying to do this, but not criminal exposure. You know, something where companies are more comfortable managing and measuring their risk in dollars, not in months of a jail term. But it, that's a but that's a congressional solution. It's not a, a yeah, question no, of DOJ's but, interpretation of the law. What I no, I object. To, what I object to is CSIP's proselytizing this. What I think is controversial reading of the law, uh, and and dressing it up as a moral standard that they're upholding. I've never I've never heard. I mean, I look. I say this with obvious bias because I was their dag, but and and they're all my friends. But. But I, I say this with with as much objectivity as I can muster. I have never heard them when I was in the department or since articulate as a moral justification. I think they have taken what they believe is the uh, responsible reading of the statute. Um, they don't want people to take the law into their own hands, to be clear. But I think that they're doing it not for moral grounds, but because that's what they yeah, believe is I, good faith, the interpretation of the statute. I, they, they have made statements about this is a bad idea as well as illegal. Uh, and uh, um, and their determination to raise this at every turn, I think, is is, is wrongheaded. They, uh, um, in the long run, they're going to lose this fight, uh, although they're winning it right now. Uh, uh, but uh, I, we... 
as 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 um, as the NRA says, uh, when uh, when seconds count, the police are only minutes away. Uh, it, uh, that's where we are with a lot of these attacks, uh, and the people who are best positioned to deal with them are the people who are actually under attack, not not somebody who will show up three days later if you're lucky. Uh, but let me. I, I, we've only got a few uh, uh, fifteen minutes left, uh, and I do want to talk about Data and Goliath because uh, that's Bruce's uh, uh, book. Uh, uh, Bruce, uh, uh, let me summarize what I think is uh, is your uh, 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 thesis. Uh, big data is um, an enormously powerful technology that is growing the, as as it becomes cheaper and easier to collect uh, uh, and store and analyze data. It's potentially very powerful. It's also extraordinarily risky. It has led the government to engage in mass surveillance and particularly the National Security Agency. Uh, it uh, allows companies to gather information on us that uh, we're not aware of and which potentially could be used in uh, dangerous ways. Uh, I and uh, we need to uh, resist it uh, in a variety of ways, uh, regulate it, uh, and uh, 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 as governments and resist it as individuals. Uh, um, is that a fair uh, uh, sort of summary of the book? We're in there about corporate surveillance and, and other things, but that that's certainly a thread through the book. Yeah. So I want to. I, uh, I I I read it. Uh, my uh, uh, my notes are full of. Uh, you can't possibly believe this, Bruce's comments. Uh, so let me walk through it. Let me, uh, uh, through parts of it. Uh, the solutions. We go. I'll go straight to the solutions, even though it's at the back of the book, because I think those are uh, uh, particularly hard to credit. You, you at at various times you say, well, you could. Hire somebody to walk behind your car so that nobody can read the license plate. You could wear a mask in public. You could paint your face to fool the cameras. You can use a friend's card at Safeway so that people can, so Safeway can't tell who's buying what. You can dress in drag. You can search for random names on Facebook in order to confuse Facebook's algorithms. You can spray paint uh, the cameras that are uh, uh, doing surveillance on the street, or you can cut speed cameras wires. And I know you don't endorse all of those, but, you know, Right. I mean, I, most of those are, are, are suggestions on how ridiculous it would be to evade some of this stuff. So I that although the, the the walking behind your car is something I got from Iran that people would do that in Tehran some years ago to avoid some of the police cameras. I mean, that was an actual thing. Yeah, I suppose. Oddly enough. Well, in 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 a large enough demonstration, I guess so you can imagine that. Uh, but yeah, I that that was my sense is that uh, it, those. Those tools are hopeless. They're either silly or illegal and immoral or... Or ineffective. Or ineffective. Some of those tools yeah. are ineffective. I assure you, searching fake things on Google isn't going to do much to... Uh to reduce what they know about you. Yeah. Uh, so, I, and yet you, I think you said you searched for random names on Facebook. You know, I uh, that was more aspirational. I'm actually not on Facebook. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which makes me a freak, but highly productive. Yes, no, that's I, that's absolutely right. Uh, I, it's amazing how many people say they're only on Facebook for their friends. If, if everybody who said that wasn't on Facebook, uh, I don't think half of their friends would be on Facebook. But uh, uh, but this is the but this is the power of the network effect. Yes, right? every person that gets on Facebook is one more 
person closer to you getting on it. Yes. And there's a point where as much as you dislike the tool, whether it's a fax machine or Facebook or email or anything, the more people that are on it, you're, you're forced by society really to use it. And saying don't be on Facebook, don't have an email address, don't have a cell phone or a credit card if you want to protect your privacy, those, those make no sense. It's nonsensical advice. Yeah, it's, it, I think that's that. So then, let me ask this. I, it, it, my sense is that you have a sort of you know, fundamental ambivalence about big data. You, you say it's powerful. It's going to produce all these startling inferences. That if if we could uh, put everybody's health data in one place, uh, it would uh, transform healthcare uh, in, for the world. Uh, and you yourself sort of say, uh, look, I. I used to put my email into uh, folders so I could find it, and now I just leave it in one big lump and 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 use the power of search to pull it out. So you obviously think it's and, it's, and I am ambivalent. Yeah. This is hard. You know, we're in the early years of big data. We're in the years of promise, where there's so much. It's going to do. It's going to change the world. All all the great things. Save everything. You'll figure out what to do with it later. Cost of saving is so cheap. And my guess is in the next decade, you know, we'll see backlash is the wrong word, but we'll see a softening of all those promises. Well, we didn't mean it this way, but that way. I think something like health records, the, the benefits to humanity would be enormous. And even something as simple as Google Maps, hey, the fact that every car is under surveillance when they use Google Maps helps me get real-time traffic information and get home faster. Right. You know, that's an enormous benefit. And I think we have to, we were struggling with this back and forth. This group benefit to data, the benefits of big data versus the risks of big data. And I think this is an issue we'll be talking about in 50 or 100 years. This is not an easy one. So what I'm puzzled by is you 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 see all the value you see it for yourself you see it for a variety of things and then you turn around and say but when when governments are trying to find terrorists who could kill us it's not supposed to use these tools it, it needs to be a little Amish village off by itself uh, using tools from the mid 20th century uh, why shouldn't uh, uh, government be able to get the benefits of being able to use this information in in bulk to store it and analyze it uh, just the way you uh, just say uh, all my emails are in there and I'll do the searches later. It's an interesting question, and the answer is is an effectiveness. I mean, we know that these big data tools aren't effective in this way. We know it from um, the NSA's reports. We know from a, a lot of a lot of examples that this is not an effective way to do it. I mean, in, in all of these situations, we're balancing the benefits of the data to the group with the risks of the data individually. Right. So, in in the medical care example, the benefits of putting all of our healthcare in one big database with the risks of, oh my God, all of our medical data is in one big database and aren't useful. In in this this NSA example. The benefits of them using big data to search for terrorists with the risks of them using that. And so my belief is that there's not one answer here, that every single one of these is individual to be a balancing test. So that we're going to have to look at costs and benefits for each one. There's not going to be a lot of generalities. And 
are what we do are going to change. So let me so we might say I, I, to I, Google, I, you know, we love having Google Maps, but but we don't want you to save it because knowing where we are at all times is kind of freaky to us. So we want you to use it and throw it away. But you can imagine that. You can imagine um, medical stuff where we say, you know, we want you to have it, but only have one out of a thousand people and anonymize it. And I'm, I'm making this up. Yeah, and, and so of course we don't know what will work or what will work. What work, right? We, what we, will work and, and, and what won't. Right? You know, and so for, for right now, for me, for terrorism, for the NSA, bulk collection doesn't work, isn't worth the risks. I mean, it's really great for social control. If you're in a government of China, you want to do bulk collection. It's, it's works fantastic for finding dissidents, for, for finding dissenters, for stifling free speech. It's great for all that stuff. Now, that's not an application I kind of want to support. Yeah, but I, you know, I, and, I, so let me, let me, let me push you on this. Uh, uh, you said, um, you have to look at the value against the risks. But if, if that's the case, you have to evaluate the NSA program based on the actual bad things that happened. Uh, and the only bad things, even conceivably bad things, is that 500 people got referred to the FBI on a, a, an annual basis for the FBI to look into whether there was some reason to be concerned about the fact that they were communicating uh, uh, either directly or indirectly with a, a, a known terrorist number in the Middle East. Uh, uh, you know, having the FBI have that ability to go check people out uh, uh, doesn't strike me as um, uh, uh, the imminent uh, arrival of Chinese government here or as a particularly serious harm even for the people who get investigated. I mean, I agree. We certainly want the FBI to investigate people. That's why we have an FBI. And, and we certainly give them a lot of leeway to invade our privacy. I mean, that's, that's, we think that's a benefit. We put controls in, warrant processes, other due processes to ensure that they don't abuse that, and we can argue whether they're effective or not. But the goal here is, is to balance. But it is that it, enormous it, power. Why would with, you, with, 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 uh, why would you, why would you, why would you say, I want to do an experiment? Without knowing exactly how it's going to turn out, uh, uh, of cutting off our principal intelligence gathering capability against terrorists and just saying, oh, we've got some new rules for you. You're, you, you can only do targeted uh, uh, collection and you have to get rid of the data immediately. But this is the hyperbole. This is not the principal tool for gathering information about terrorists. The principal tool is targeted surveillance. This is not the principal tool for investigating terrorists. This is not the principal tool for stopping terrorist plots. This is a tool that has marginal utility, which we see from all the reports. I'm not sure where you get your 500. I mean, I remember the 10,000 tips that was sent to the FBI as article, God, almost maybe a decade ago now. It's maybe eight years. Yeah. All of which were false alarms. I mean, there's, there's a lot more abuses than, than 500. But leave that aside. I mean, no, I, I actually those those numbers come those numbers come from the government. Uh, of our, the, the the government has released sorry. the number of searches that the FBI uh, uh, referrals the FBI got last year. It was 167. Uh, prior to that, it was around three to five hundred uh, on an annual yeah, basis. Search for search for a ten thousand number. There was an article many years ago in the New York Times. 
The NSA yeah. gave the FBI 10,000 tips. They were all false alarms. That, that may be that when they well. were doing – yeah. They, it might have been 04. Yeah, that, that, and they were – at that point, they were running this program against uh, Internet communications as well. So I, I, won't, I won't say it's impossible. But they, 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 they terminated that program without uh, any public pressure at all. Because it wasn't working in because yeah, it well, didn't produce right. information. The, and so, I mean, I am, what I think works, and here I am as, as speaking as a taxpayer, what I want to spend my money on is targeted surveillance following the leads, the things that work in the movies. Where do you get Not your, where do you, wait, wait, everybody where do you get your you leads? Where do you get your leads? The, the, the whole point, in, in, in my view, this is where your book really misses the point. Uh, you act as though once something is in the system and uh, a big data analysis triggers a, a reason for concern, that the guy's going to Guantanamo. Uh, all that is is a lead that leads to an investigation. Right. And the question is, you know, what what do we as society want the limits to be on when someone can be investigated? I mean, these are are questions we have to answer. You know, my feeling is because these broad surveillance tools are not effective, they're not cost effective, they're costly in other ways that we shouldn't do them. I mean, we're having the same conversation about a medical database. Now, I'm probably going to go the other way because the benefits are so much greater. So you're, 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 you're relying entirely on the idea that this, this doesn't work. And yet, I, you know, I read this as basically saying NSA should never do this, even if they have an opportunity, you know, uh, to, you know, and this is, this is not unexpected. Uh, uh, their, most of their terrorism work is done overseas. It's not these, uh, uh, U.S. programs. And if they, can store 24 hours worth of communications from a particular uh, uh, location and then search them and follow leads that develop as a result of the first search to a second or a third set of uh, communications using better selectors, uh, they're going to get better leads. Uh, but that's, according to you, that's uh, that's mass collection and, and NSA shouldn't do it. So, I mean, there's a lot of devil in the details there. I'm, I'm I'm not one to say never. I tend not to like using never because there, there, there are always going to be exceptions to everything. I mean, this gets back to the first things we talked about. These are not technical problems. These are legal problems. These are policy problems. And, and we have to figure out what the balance is. Uh, in, in general, I mean, searching on a specific things makes, seem makes sense to me. It's the going into the general database of everybody. We are having problems. So I, uh, I'll give you an example from my experience in government. We uh, at DHS required that every single person traveling to the U.S. Uh, uh, on a plane uh, have their travel reservation data provided to the government. Uh, and what the government did with that is it gave us uh, sometimes a week, sometimes uh, a day uh, to look at arriving passengers and decide which of them it was worth spending an hour interviewing and which we were just going to say welcome to the United States uh, and stamp their passport. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, every every one of those travelers is arguably innocent. Uh, most of them certainly are. Uh, and, uh, uh, and yet we were collecting all of that information and using it to, to allocate scarce 
investigative resources to the most risky travelers based on travel experience, past information, and databases of other sorts and the like. Uh, uh, there's several statements in your book that say, well, you, you, you never get anything from gathering information about innocent people, but that's exactly what that program does. So are you saying that it shouldn't be done? It's an interesting question. I hadn't thought about the program, so so rather than, than say something quickly, let's, let's talk about it. It feels like it's, it's very similar to a visa program. Yes. We want to know who's coming into our country beforehand, so before you show up, you got to fill out a bunch of paperwork, and, and we're going to decide before you get there whether you can come in or not. And lots of countries have visa programs. They, they, they feel like a good idea. So the you know, question is, how does this differ from that? And, and what does one do that the other doesn't? I, I don't fully understand it. But you know, in general, I'm okay with visa requirements. They, they, that, that makes sense to me. Yeah, but unfortunately, uh, uh, and this is, uh, you know, we can't ignore this. Uh, uh, we also were gathering information about Americans returning to the United States, which is hardly, you know, nobody needs a visa to come home. Uh, uh, but there certainly, and, and that seems bad. I mean, that seems like investigating people without cause. Yeah, uh, but uh, to say you know, we're going to exempt you if you produce the right more efficient. Yeah, in fact, it was right. pro- the question is. Do, do of law enforcement solely efficiency or do we have other values? And if we have other values, we have to work them. Yeah, but I think you're making up these other values by scaring people that this data is going to be misused. The, the value of the data is to decide whether somebody is going to spend time being interviewed. But not, not, not the value of the data, the values of our society. But you're, you're, no, again, you're making that up too. You're, you're the, you've made up this value that the government shouldn't have data that everybody else has, that the that the airline reservation no, no, uh, folks have. The value the value of society are much greater. And you might be right that that society has lost all the values, all those values, or they're 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 going to be tossed. I mean, certainly in the months after 9/11, things that we had as values went away very quickly. It's a good idea it doesn't mean it's a good thing. But you may be right that these values will disappear. I hope not. I mean, I, I don't want to say that we're done. And then now, and now the only value is going to be efficiency or, uh, oh, I don't know, safety. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm not saying you know, that either. Things like, uh, I, I mean, when I was a kid, there was a saying you, I remember hearing, and it was like regular, that it's better for a hundred guilty people to go free than one innocent to be imprisoned. Like that was a normal statement, which when I say feels almost radical, and that's said. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, there, there, there is at some point at which you would say uh, uh, that's uh, that's that's a, a trade-off we're willing to make, uh, and in other circumstances not. But it seems to me that uh, just saying how, letting the government have this data is a violation of our uh, uh, um, values is wrong. Uh, uh, the, the, the government is not – the government's holding the data or using – looking at the data without causing harm to you is not a betrayal of the uh, values that uh, make America great. All right. Let me ask one I'm last question. about this conversation and, and- – what we should really, I think, thank Snowden for is the fact that we're having this conversation, that when these things are done in secret, we don't have these conversations. I want to see conversations about values. There's nothing I like more than real theoretical conversations about society's values 
respect to security and privacy, what the trade-offs should be, how we should make them. This feels like a really healthy thing for our society. And the fact that you and I disagree is great, because if we didn't, it would be boring. That's true. And this is how we figure it out. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that uh, you can have those sorts of debates about every sensitive uh, classified intelligence program the uh, the country wants to run, because no, then, you then you have, have the debate, but level. no. Right, you, you have to have them. Right, you have that. You have them at an abstract level. You know, we can't. And this is the this is going to be the question NSA session is going to have to get used to that they're living in a world with less secrecy, that they're going to have to figure out how to operate with greater transparency. I think it'll be better for them in the long run, and I think it's better for the country. Now, even if the, the answer doesn't go the way I like, having the debate is, is really important. I, I think we uh, completely agree on that. Let me ask you one last question, and then we'll uh, uh, wrap up. Uh, the place where I thought um, your book was already falling out of date uh, was when you started talking about cyber conflict, saying we can't verify identities in cyberspace, that cyber attacks are hard to trace, that cyber attacks are disruptive but not damaging. And I think in the last year, we've seen lots more effective attribution and much more damaging attacks uh, on U.S. institutions, including the GitHub attack. So do you think you need to revise those judgments, or do you think you're still right about uh, the difficulty of attribution? And I tell you, when you write a book, uh, you spend a year writing it, then you spend six months we're hoping that nothing changes. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I think you're right that that we learned a lot more about attribution. The Sony case is an interesting example. GitHub, their attribution does seem easier it's hard to tell, though, how we're doing this attribution. It doesn't happen fast, which I think makes it difficult. I've heard a lot of stuff about the Sony attack, both when I thought the government was wrong that it was North Korea and then when I thought they were right that it was North Korea. And, yeah, the moral is that attribution is hard. And there's different attribution. There's, I know you did it. There's, I know you did it, and I can convince you you did it. And I know you did it, I can convince the world that I know you did it. Yeah, And in the Sony case, we were really good at knowing who did it. We were probably good at knowing knowing they did it and saying, North Korea, look, we know you did it, here's the evidence. But we were terrible at convincing the world. And if we expect to have policy decisions based on secret forensic evidence, that's going to be hard going forward. I'm, I'm not sure how to solve this. Well, Sony should have gone but broken into this. It does uh, the, that attribution is easier. It's gotten easier in the past year. Hasn't gotten quicker. I needed to get quicker. I thought it was pretty quick. Because whose job is to defend Sony depends on attribution. And if it takes three weeks, we have a problem. Yeah, maybe 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 Sony should have broken into North Korea's computers to figure out uh, who was attacking them and gather the evidence. That would have ended really well. <laughs> okay, uh, uh, Bruce, this was terrific. We could go on for another hour and a half, uh, and I would be a game for it, uh, uh, but uh, uh, I don't think our listeners would be. Uh, so thank you so much. This is great. It's, it, it, it's so nice to talk to somebody who's got the self-confidence just to mix it up with us. Uh, we've had a great time. Uh, um, if you've got any uh, uh, public speaking engagements that you're going to be uh, uh, doing, uh, uh, let me know. I know you're going to ISA LA. Um, a, anything else you're going to be doing? You know, the, i tell you, the easiest place is to go to schneier.com, S-C-H-N-E-I-E-R, look at the, uh, the events page. 
that's also where my writing and my books and everything I do is, is on that site. So anyone who wants to read more can go find that. I tell you, the stuff on the Sony attack, I think, was really interesting. I wrote a lot about that. I hope you'll, I hope you'll write about GitHub, too. I, I think the GitHub attack is fascinating and, and deserves a lot the of attention. The that the Chinese government attacks GitHub, I mean, stuff's making little sense out there. Yeah, I, I I actually think it does make sense, but I uh, I uh, we're gonna close this down. Uh, you should write about GitHub. <laughs> I should. You're right. I uh, and uh, uh, and the question of why the Chinese would do something that is so easily attributed to them uh, and so blatantly at odds with the norms that uh, the Obama administration has been telling everybody should apply and in cyberspace. And so space. ineffective. Well, I, you know, I asked GitHub what it cost them uh, to uh, to live with that attack. Uh, uh, but you're right. Uh, it, it, it did not prevent GitHub from keeping the stuff up. Uh, um, so uh, uh, maybe the lesson is this doesn't work, and maybe the lesson is maybe they should have taken 5% of the traffic instead of 2% of the traffic to, to launch the attacks. Uh, um, well, thanks again, Bruce. Uh, Michael, Jason, thank you guys for participating. Or for holding my coat, uh, and uh, uh, for 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 the uh, listeners, uh, if you've got questions or su- suggestions, send them to cyberlawpodcast at steptoe.com or leave a message at two zero two eight six two five seven eight five. In just a few days, in fact, probably a day or two after you get this, uh, uh, we will be doing the uh, triple entente uh, 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 beer summit uh, with Lawfare and Rational Security podcasts. Uh, uh, that will be six to nine thirty at the Washington Firehouse, sixteen twenty six North Capitol Street. Uh, Bruce, if you're in Washington, the beer's on me. Uh, uh, and uh, after that, uh, following Bruce's uh, example, and you mean that figuratively, not literally, of course. Well, no. If you if you show up, I will I will buy the beer. I, uh, so that's May seven. Or if you come uh, May twenty one, I'm not sure that Issa uh, Nova, the Northern Virginia Issa, uh, has beer, but uh, uh, I'll definitely buy you one there too because we're doing another uh, public uh, podcast broadcast uh, in McLean, Virginia, May twenty one, five thirty to eight p.m. And we wow. hope so. Garrison Keeler, it's fantastic. It, it, it is, uh, and unfortunately, uh, all our podcasts are below average. Uh, but uh, uh, other than that, uh, 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 we do appreciate your, your coming on, and we hope the audience will join us uh, at uh, those events and uh, on our regularly scheduled uh, podcasts as we once again provide insights into the latest events in technology, security, privacy, and government. Mm-hmm.